0: So chronologically, we're about a week behind the events that have happened in Scripture. But we don't have anything better to talk about, so it's okay that we're behind. Um, So we spent the last two weeks talking about Mary Magdalene, the woman who was healed from demonic possession and who became one of the innermost people of Jesus' circle, so close that she spent time with his family and was with Jesus' mother um, on the days... Of Jesus's crucifixion and also she was the first person to whom Jesus revealed himself to after the resurrection and so today we're going to continue looking at another one of Jesus's disciples one of Jesus's close friends if you haven't guessed who that is it is Thomas um, Thomas has always had kind of an aura about him as the disciple who didn't quite get it the disciple who Even though things had been told and even though people had confessed and proclaimed all these things, he was the person that we all looked down upon as going, you big dummy head, you just couldn't get it right, could you? But what I hope we discover about Thomas today is that Thomas is probably closer to where you and I are in our faith than sometimes we would care to admit and probably most of the times we would even be able to realize. So if you've got your Bible with you this morning, I want you to turn with me uh, back to John chapter 20. And this week I'm going to read verses 19 uh, through 29, and we're going to talk about those words there. Um, And I may even go ahead and talk about verses 30 and 31, even though you won't have that on the screen. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others. When Jesus came and they told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. And I put my fingers into them and I placed my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side and don't be faithless any longer, but yet believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. So normally when we think of Jesus' interaction with Thomas, we, we think that Jesus is calling him to the carpet and rebuking him for not getting it right, for not listening to the things that had been told to him, for not paying attention to all the things that Jesus had been teaching for several years. And so Jesus is saying, look, in, look here, knucklehead. Pay attention to what's going on. Do I have to prove it to you to get you to understand that? But what we see in Jesus' interaction with Thomas is not one of rebuke, But it's actually of invitation. Jesus has come back to meet with his disciples. Now this is the second time. And he does so, as you would think in the video, specifically so that he would be able to show Thomas the evidence of the promise of resurrection. So he invites Thomas to respond at a moment when his own heart was ready. You see Thomas believed Jesus enough to follow the teachings. He was okay with hearing the things that Jesus said and spending his days going around and hearing more and even adopting some of the practices that Jesus had told him are the things that people who belong to God do. But it wasn't until this situation right here this moment when he experienced the risen Christ face to face that Thomas's life truly understood the gospel message and changed for the way that God had intended his life to change. We look down on Thomas a lot as the doubtful disciple. The one who could hear the words straight from the teacher's mouth, but yet still could not accept what Jesus had come to do or what Jesus had accomplished until he had seen proof for himself. Even though his best friends, the ones who had also traveled with Jesus, the ones who were known as the beloved, the one who had been proclaimed as the rock on which Jesus had built his church, the one who had professed to seeing Jesus Christ risen from the grave, even though they had told him of what they had seen, he claimed until he had tangible evidence of what God had done, Something that he could touch for himself, that he could know to be true with his own eyes. That he wouldn't fully believe all the things, much less the things that his friends were telling him. So in Thomas, as I told you, we see a faith that is probably a lot more like our own faith than we would even begin to realize. Thomas was okay with following the teachings of Jesus. He was able to fit them into the boxes of what he had already known about the world and about the character of God. And he didn't even mind making those small changes that Jesus said were necessary. But for Thomas, there were certain things, things that were earth-shaking, drastic life-changing choices, things that Jesus said would happen in the life of all believers the fulfillment of the prophecies that Thomas had heard about his entire life as growing up as a Jewish man uh, in his culture and hearing the stories of those that had come before that would proclaim the things that God was going to do. You know, Thomas had heard all that, and for Jesus to say these words was probably nothing new to him. And it sounded a lot more like the usual energetic and genuine rhetoric that teachers before him had always used. But when Jesus spoke to Thomas in this passage, it drew Thomas in, in a way that no teacher ever had before. And now as he stood before the resurrected Christ, the things that Jesus had told Thomas had given him a new life. Things that didn't seem to fit in Thomas's normal understanding now became the whole world of who Thomas was. So, for us as Christians, and honestly, most people that live in the Bible Belt and live in America, the basic idea of the things that Jesus teaches aren't hard for us to hear. They're not hard for us to hear these examples of a moral code and an ethical understanding and to say, okay, we can do that. We can live by that. We can be good people. We understand the importance behind not killing other people. We know the goodness in helping other people, all of those things are easy for us to digest. We can follow these things because they don't require much from us. Every now and then some money that we might going to use for ourselves, we tend to give away. Every now and then we might sacrifice a weekend or something to go to a seminar or a retreat or to serve in a food kitchen. We don't really have much trouble hearing the teachings of Jesus Christ and following them. This is where Thomas was. It didn't intrude much on his life to be a follower of Jesus. Sure, there were some outlandish things he was hearing. Sure, there were some things that Jesus was promising that there was no way could happen. But he spoke with such zeal and he spoke with such genuine heart in every word that he said that for Thomas it was okay to hear and to follow And he was okay being inconvenienced. And he knew that this new life, this new teaching for him was something that was paying off. So it was okay for him to be uncomfortable. But would the things of Jesus truly happen? When we read scripture and we hear the way that God interacts with humanity. And we hear the mighty works of God through his people. Do we truly believe that those things can happen? Or is it easy for us to believe because in our wildest dreams we could never imagine being faced with such a situation? But what John records in Thomas's interaction with Jesus, why he felt it was such a necessary and essential part of this gospel resurrection account, is that like any, unlike any other religion that the world has ever known, that the world will ever know, no, it's definitive proof that the one who proclaimed to be Lord and Master came back, would return from his place of divine power and authority to stand in the presence of his people. And what Thomas discovered this day that the promises that Jesus had spoken of and the things that Jesus had taught had been fulfilled in a literal sense. And that because Christ was able to meet with his disciples after his death, then surely the promise of his second coming was also a reality. And just like for Mary Magdalene, these words for Thomas were earth-shaking. There is nothing in his life that would ever be the same that he would ever remember having learned as a child and would ever think of it the same. When he would hear those words of God doing amazing and wonderful things. They were no longer just colorful illustrations to help somebody understand the power of a God, but it was a true and it was a definitive understanding and explanation of the God that stood before him now in the power of Jesus. And Thomas realized that Jesus did not, Jesus has not and Jesus will not leave him on his own in this journey of of life. That's something that you and I need to understand before we take one step further in this pursuit of faith. In this pursuit of life. Is that Jesus did not come to this earth to hand us a new list of expectations and a new list of do's and don'ts. In order that we might be acceptable. But Jesus has come that we might have life. Jesus has come Being the way by which we discover God our Father. So in verses 19, verses 21 and 26, Jesus says the same thing. He says, peace be with you. These aren't uncommon words for us. We hear Jesus say, peace be with you, almost every single time he talks to anybody. Peace be with you is something that Jewish people said to each other all the time. Odds are if you meet a Jewish person now and they like you, they're going to tell you, peace be with you before you leave. It is something that Thomas and the disciples had heard thousands of times from the times that they were little. But yet now when Jesus said these words, it was something different that they understood. Because Jesus was not offering them a normal greeting or a normal salutation. But yet what he was doing was he was speaking into their souls and into their hearts. The evidence and the results of what had happened as he stood before them fully alive after experiencing death. Jesus offered a deeper peace proven by something that Thomas could see. Proven by something that Thomas could feel that was not just something known in his head in the middle of his crisis. But it was something that pierced his heart. Jesus not only promised his disciples that he would rise again on the third day, but now the evidence was standing before him that his words were true. Jesus wouldn't only tell his disciples that he would be restored after his earthly physical death into a body that was full of physicality of human life and the fullness of his divine nature. This new body was first witnessed by Mary Magdalene that morning at the tomb as Jesus stood before her and she didn't even recognize who he was. And it was not until he called her name that she recognized this was Jesus standing in front of her. And this was the same body that appeared to the disciples in verse 26. That even though the doors were locked and everybody in the room had been accounted for, Jesus appeared, not as a ghost or an apparition, not as a cloud, but something that could be touched. The fullness of the divine nature of God mixed with the full humanity of flesh stood before Thomas and the disciples. Jesus not only told his disciples that he would soon be ascending to the Father to take his place in heaven to intercede on their behalf, but now the disciples, now Thomas knew that this must be a reality. If all the things that Jesus had said so far had taken place, if death had been conquered, if the things that he had known about how the human life works had now been thrown out the window on the account of Jesus, then he knew that what Jesus had said was to come must be in waiting. So Jesus' giving of peace was to help his Disciples understand that this battle of life, this attempt to be God's people, to live differently than the world around them was not something that he had set out for them to fight alone. And it would not be like other religions where they were told what to do and left to their own luck to accomplish that. This wasn't the gospel message. This wasn't what Jesus came to accomplish It was not a, if you don't do this, then you're sinful and you go to hell. It was an understanding that hell is already in waiting for you. There is no other option. It's not to be a good person or go to hell. It's hell is waiting for you. But yet I have something else if you will accept it. When death had already laid claim before they even realized it, Jesus came and offered the opportunity for life. A new life, one that was able to throw away the old, broken, and sinful beings that each one of them had been brought up and raised in, and to experience a new life gifted and powered from the only true source that could sustain it. No longer would the disciples think as the rest of the world that life and happiness and prosperity laid in things or in status but they knew that the only thing that mattered was this one standing before them. So in Thomas's account, when we read of it, we see that Jesus invites a person from a place of belief based only on things that are readily seen and accepted to a place of true faith. Where things aren't always visible, but there's a foundation of evidence laid within the heart. Jesus invited Thomas to experience truth. To experience the things that he taught and that he spoke of. And not to live to where he would hear a teaching and work to adopt that teaching, but yet he would hear the words of Christ and in that he would hear the way to life. And it was no longer about making sure that his life looked the part but it was about understanding that his life was to become, th- become something else, completely different. In verse 28, Thomas exclaimed, My Lord and my God, revealing to us the proof that Jesus' teachings had come from a place being established in Thomas's head to a place that they were established as the foundation within his heart. Thomas would proclaim that Jesus was the Lord of his life, And his understanding of God would be cemented and would create for Thomas a life of devotion that would change more than half of the known world in the years to come. Thomas is the disciple that is believed to be responsible for going to the nation of India and China and Eastern Asia and sharing the gospel message. Even people that have never heard of Jesus know who Thomas is, the one who came and brought this message of salvation. He changed the world because of what he experienced in Jesus Christ that day. But for you and I, we must listen closely to Jesus' words in verse 29. You believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You see, it's easy for us to have faith when we can see the things that we're supposed to have faith in. We drive across bridges because we see the bridge. And if we're just going to be completely honest, there's not one person in here that's going to drive their car across a a lake or a river or a valley or a canyon or anything just because our favorite teacher or our favorite preacher told us to do so. Are we? If I told you to drive your car across the Grand Canyon, there's a bridge there that you can't see. We're not going to do it, are we? And that's what we see in the person of Thomas. Somebody who spoke these words that drew him in in a way that he had never experienced, but yet was asking him to do something that there is no possible way. It could be as he said. But this is exactly what Jesus' words for Thomas were. Jesus' words called Thomas to action. And that is the difference between a faith that is based in the teaching versus a faith that is based in the teacher. If our faith is based only in the teachings, we never experience Jesus because we are too busy trying to look the part and play the part and be seen as the part. But when our faith is based on the teacher, the whole purpose of our existence changes. C.S. Lewis said that the hypothesis of Jesus Christ is that God came down to a created universe down to humanity, and came back up again to his divinity. But yet, he pulled humanity along with him. And he said, the only alternative to this way of thinking is not something that could be considered as legend. It's not something that could be exaggerated and accepted. And it's not something that could be based solely on the apparitions of a ghost. And he said, it is something that either must be considered lunacy or lies. Thomas had just bought into something that would be considered lunacy. But yet because of the evidence before him, he bought into it with all that he had. Jesus became Lord for Thomas because he conquered death. Death had been defeated for Thomas because while it may have contained his frailty and his human nature, it could not contain the power of the God who stood before him. Jesus came back to life, not only in his teachings, not as a revival of some great wisdom or, or knowledge of, of humanity, but as Thomas and the rest of the disciples experienced the fullness of his physicality, but yet then also the fullness of his divine power. So in this resurrection and Jesus Christ standing before him, all the consequences of sin and death that Thomas had known, everything that the world had told him is how things work. Death in the physical body was no more. But as Thomas also understood that the second death, the death of his spiritual soul, had now also been conquered. That no longer was eternal separation from God, the reality that waited for Him. But yet because Christ served as the necessary sacrifice, death had been satisfied. It was no longer death that was waiting for those who believed. And that is what Thomas realized as he exclaimed those words, My Lord and my God. He had been released as a captive from an eternity of anguish and death. Christ, not because he had taught, but because of what he had did, brought life. So this word, peace be with you, was an invitation. Jesus' time with Thomas was an invitation to experience a life within his soul a life that was not tainted or affected by the world in which he lived, but it was an unchanging assurance that death was no more, that sin was no longer in control, and that a new life had come. So for Jesus' disciples, his, his resurrection meant freedom. They knew that because of God's law, that sin would be held accountable They knew that because of God's holy and perfect being that sin was unable to exist in his presence. And so as being sinful beings, whether willingly or unwillingly, the only thing that waited for them was destruction. They had no way of getting away from it. But now as Jesus stood before them, the gift he had promised had become a reality. In Christ, they had been made alive. So in these words and Jesus' interaction, Christ calls everyone. Though he was talking with Jesus and his disciples, we see that in those words, blessed are those who believe and have not seen, that Jesus invites you and I to a new life. And it's something that we can choose to accept or it's something that we can choose to reject. It's not something that we can look through and, and like a magazine or the, the wish list Christmas book and look at the things we like and circle the things we like and highlight the things we like and Instagram post the things we like and then gloss over the things that we don't want to hear or choose to turn the page on the things that we think might not fit within the culture in which we live today. But Lewis Foster would say that while a teacher says this is the truth and this is what you should do, Jesus' words were, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Thomas's faith was no longer in the teaching. It was no longer in his ability to follow the do's and do nots that he had been taught his whole life and even under Jesus. But his faith was now in what Christ and what only Christ had done. The only thing that Christ could provide. And from this moment on, Thomas realized that trying to earn life by any other way would lead to disappointment and destruction. So these words call you and I to make a choice. Whether we sit here in this place today claiming to be a Christian or whether we don't. If we doubt our faith or our understanding of who Jesus is, we are called to make a choice because this evidence has been placed before us. That the one who doubted was able to see with his own eyes and touch with his own hands and know for his own self that Jesus Christ had conquered death, had risen again, and had come back for his people. And understand this was evidence that would be admissible in any court standard several eyewitness accounts, physical people there to experience what they had claimed. So do we choose to live a life apart from Christ, still a prisoner to sin, where the only thing waiting is death, not only physically in this life, but spiritually for eternity? Do we choose to live a life of faith based on our knowledge of rights and wrongs, of regulations and physical actions, Truly never experiencing Jesus Christ alive as Thomas did this morning. I would dare say that's probably where most Christians lie. It's in the understanding of the teachings that lead us to life. Or do we choose to make the proclamation in our lives as Thomas did? My Lord and my God. One common misconception is that faith is about following a teaching. But it's not about a character development. It's not about an outward affirmation that can be seen by others, but it's about an inward change. It's about a peace being instilled in our hearts of a new life filled with God's presence as it was originally intended. I shared with you a quote one of the first Sundays I was here From Jerry Bridges where he said that the Christian often tries to develop Christian character and conduct without the devotion of time to develop a God-centered devotion. Meaning that we hear the do's and the don't and we're content to make our lives a feeble gesture at being obedient. We try to please God without taking the time to walk with Him. This is something that is impossible to do. Adam and Eve tried to look the part after they had sinned. They had lost their ability to walk with God and in doing so, sin entered the world and death became the final reality for them. Thomas didn't mind playing the part. For him, the teachings were pretty easy to follow, somewhat even culturally acceptable to follow. But that's not where salvation was. It was only in experiencing Jesus Christ beyond the teachings of a teacher and experiencing the resurrection, knowing that we'll be able to hear those words of Jesus, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me and are able to respond as Thomas did, saying, my Lord and my God. But we will not be able to do this. Hear me, we will not be able to do this if we don't know the character and the promises of the one who made life possible. If we don't take time to walk with him. So my challenge for you today is as we have heard of Thomas' account and what Jesus has done with his disciples this moment in this passage here where John gave an account of this. my, My challenge for you is this, is to ask yourself, Is your faith one that is based on your understanding solely of the teachings that Jesus had given you and your ability to be obedient to those things? And if it is, I want you to understand that it is considered salvation by works and it's not something that you can achieve. But as Thomas discovered and as Jesus said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to salvation. He is the way to eternity. So ask yourself, what does it mean to experience Jesus in this way? Beyond the teachings, to discover the teacher. Would you pray with me? Father God, as always, we thank you for your word that we can open, that we can discover, that we can hear you speaking to us. God, I ask now that you would invade each heart in this space and help us to ask ourselves what our understanding of you is, what our understanding of salvation truly is. Is it about just a new set of standards and rules and guidelines by which we try to live our days on this earth? Or is it about proclaiming that you are the fullness of God intertwined with the fullness of our humanity who had come to take our sin, to conquer our death, and to change our eternity that we might experience the fullness of life that you had intended for us now even in the midst of a broken world and that we might experience eternity in your presence. God, help us to ask ourselves by which we are living. Help us to confront the deepest, darkest parts and reveal to us the truth of where our faith is. And God, help us to settle for nothing less than what you had planned for us. We pray all this in your precious and holy son's name. Amen.